Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbonnell.com. Great grace, peace, and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. We'll be dealing with the issue of the prosperity of the soul, a soul at peace. And in this particular segment, we've been speaking about peaceful relationships for a prosperous seed. Key text is Zechariah 8.12. The Lord says, I will give you peace for the seed. The vine will heal its fruit. The land will heal its produce. The heavens give their due. And I will call, all, I will call this people to inherit all these things, all these things. And so there's an inheritance of these things, the, the vine yielding its fruit, the land giving its produce, uh, the heavens giving due. I will call all these people to inherit these things. When these people sow seeds in peace time, as one version says. So to correct the correctly quote the verse, there will be you read it there will be peace for the seed. Sem, there's like a semicolon there. There will be peace for the seed, semicolon. The results Vine yielding its fruit, land yielding its produce, heavens giving dew. And then it says, I will cause the remnant or the rest of this people to inherit these things. So we, we have to come to a place where we inherit these things, right? And, and the picture painted there is the picture of growth, uh, success, productivity, etc. Uh, it's a picture of you, of harvest because Seeds are spoken of, right? And that is the indication of success or the logical outcome of a, a process of sowing. The logical outcome is that you reap and that you reap correctly. And what we've been stressing is that um, for your seed to really come to maximum productivity, you're going to have to need to live a life of peace, be the embodiment of peace, but specifically your spatial sphere of existence, your context must be a peaceful environment because you will sow seeds in peace or sow seeds in peace time. So your context, your sphere of existence has got to be one of peace for your seeds to experience their total potential. Right? Um, the vines giving fruit, the land producing, and the heavens, the heavens giving forth their, their rain. Um, and then we looked at Abraham as an example. Um, we were looking at several examples of righteous and peaceful relations, how these facilitate abundant prosperity. So you want there to be prosperity, but the prerequisite is have peaceful relationships. We looked at Abraham, how that he sacrificed his, his life, um, he put, from a carnal, natural perspective, he, the performance of the will of God for his life in jeopardy. And he used all of his known assets to rescue Lot who left him. And in that process, he comes back with prosperity, the spoil from the defeat of Chedaloma and his allies. 
the intention was not to get rich. That was never his agenda. The intention was not to make money. The motivation was purely, a brother is in trouble, I rescued the brother. Part of my harvest when I come back is, I come back with wealth. Right? So there again is a very powerful sort of illustration of when you prioritize peaceful relationships or you prioritize the well-being of a brother, that in that process, God will enrich you. Right? Then we looked at how when Cain murders Abel, right, he disrespects the image of God in man, according to Genesis. Right? That's why murder was prohibited. Genesis 9.6 prohibits murder based on this motivation. He who murders um, disesteems the image of God in his brother. Right? And the judgment on Cain was this, that whenever you till the ground, now the ground will not yield its strength to you. So you can sow seeds all you want to, but because you violated the principle of respecting the image of God in your brother, your seeds lose the inherent potential. So you've just violated Zechariah 8.12, which says, I'll give you peace for the seed. Now you're sowing seeds absent peace, and there's no harvest. Okay? So Cain, and, and, and uh, Renee shared a, a word thought this afternoon about, about firstborn sons. That was our, our topic of discussion at our dialogue forum with the pastors um, this morning. We had, a, we had a powerful, fruitful discussion around the issue of the firstborn, the firstborn son. And do you know in Cain and, and Abel's context, Cain was born first. But Abel's offering is accepted, right? And he became jealous over the fact that his brother's was accepted and his wasn't. Yet God gives him time to repent, but he does not, right? And so Abel offers, or operates rather, in the power of firstborn consistently, right? And another brother rises up to kill that principle vested within his brother out of pure jealousy, and when that happens, everything in nature does not respond to him favorably. Everything in nature in the universe does not respond to him favorably. There's a few well-known preachers in Durban now speaking about that you become the center of the universe and that all things become attracted to you. Someone uses terms like you as sun become the force field of attraction. And that everything in God's creative order will respond to you when they see you function in the image and the likeness of, of God. Right? Things will respond favorably to you. But now here's Cain. So I can, I can imagine this guy as a farmer sowing seed, sowing seed, sowing seed. And the other guy next to him is also sowing seed. But this guy's seeds are growing and his, and his, and his lands are fruitful and the vines are giving fruit. But his is not because the judgment of God upon him is... The ground now does not respond favorably to you. Why? Because you violated the principle of esteeming the image of God in your brother. You've just murdered him and you've killed him. Now, first John equates murder to what? What is murder to us? Hatred. John says he, no murderer will enter the kingdom of, of heaven. Right? And he who hates his brother is a murderer. So if that's a sobering principle, if you just think about it, if, you, if I therefore function in any kind of hatred, 
which could have been inspired by jealousy because of my brother's progress or because of the acceptability of his offering and not mine, etc. There could be jealousy, envy, that degenerates into into hatred. The Bible says, therefore, I'm a murderer. Therefore, nothing in the universe responds to me. Nothing gravitates towards me. Remember, Thamo mentioned this, everything in the creation was built or made to serve man. Right? You become the center, you become the focal point. The hosts of the heavens and the earth were designed to serve God's purpose in you. And I'm really, I really want to encourage you, we must believe these things. This must become your mindset, that things will begin to serve you, and all the resource you need will start to gravitate and position itself toward you. Right? Uh, in the image of God made he them, male and female. God made man in his image. When, God, when, when Adam was made in the image of God, one of the first things he said is what? Be fruitful. Multiply. Have dominion. So if you look at those terms, fruitful, multiply, have dominion, all those were given to what? To the image. Made in the image, so now be fruitful. The moment the image is marred, the, the, the mandate becomes unattainable. Why? Because everything in the earth now will not recognize you because of the image has been marred in you. The image of God has been marred in you. Okay? So that's very, very, very important for us. So I really want to encourage you, start to believe. So how can you ensure, one way in which you can ensure that now I'm going to start to trust God that things will begin to work for me? In my workplace, Favor will position itself toward me. Ground will respond to me. When, when, I, when I do a thing, creation and, 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 and principles relative to the functioning of this world system will adjust themselves simply to accommodate me. You've got to believe these things. It's going to happen. But one thing that you must ensure for that to happen is that you live in absolute harmony, love, respect, for your brothers. You violate that principle. Cain and Abel was written for our learning. The Bible says everything in the Old Testament was written for our instruction. He has a classic case of two of Adam's, I mean, this is like first generation sons. Adam and he has these two boys. right? And murder becomes uh, to be recorded in the annals of, of biblical history. right? The one kills the other. Brother murders the other. For us, it's equated to, to hatred. And everything in creation concerning him shuts down, does not recognize him. You, you want your recognition to be heightened in God's economy in terms of how his purposes are going to play themselves out as we, as we approach the future. I want to encourage you, learn to honor and respect all men. Learn to honor and respect all men. Do not hate anybody. You, you, you will love everyone. You might not walk closely with everyone, but don't even harbor an ounce of any kind of prejudice in your heart towards anyone. Now, that's a very tall order. Hmm? Are you perfect? Do you know what, how, in what context perfection is framed in Scripture? Two, to my knowledge. Perfection meaning maturity. The one is your words. James says, um, he who is perfect has mastered his tongue. 
perfect man. No, I, I will tell you just by examining, uh, would you be at liberty to let me have the last months, a recording of the last month of all of your conversations? Anyone want to put their hands up? Say, man of yes, my, the content of my speaking. In every context. Alone with my spouse, with my friends, with my colleagues at work. Here is the sumter. I can just listen to your, con- your content and the spirit of what you're saying, and I'll tell you exactly where you are in the spirit. Okay? And whether you are on a path towards perfection or maturity. Perfection is measured by man's words. Hmm? Someone said at the school, your words measure your heart. For by your words, your heart is, is shown. So I really want to encourage you, start to practice this. Start, and I'm serious. Because we, we, are, we, are, we are vacillating. We're hearing truth and we, we're going back. Then I hear what people say about others. I'm saying, but, but then what have you been listening to? What have you been listening to? I'm telling you, learn to respect everybody. But I see how you talk, even innocently about something innocuous. But I'm telling you, learn to master these little, little things. And you will see how the blessing of God becomes to be brought to bear upon your circumstance. Will you practice this? The words of your mouth? Do you know what we all, Dr. Seki is preaching this series now, Zoe life, the more abundant life? Not so? Where is that life? Scripture says it's in the power of your tongue. You are speaking either the life of God or you are speaking the death of the enemy to your world. It's all located in the mouth. Sean said this to us at the school. Now the epicenter of divine focus will be the mouth of men. How is that for an appraisal? Would you be comfortable with giving uh, a CD recording or tape recording to your pastor for the past month or two of all of your conversations and say, see how perfect I am in my speech. Even in, in, even in the vortex where I was prone to scandal, see how I responded to a temptation. I'll tell you never be perfect in your speech. You know what you can sit there and say, the topic here is relationships. We get this right, we're going to prosper. But I'm telling you, most of us are falling, are failing in the area, in the manner in which we talk about others. And there is proof. We haven't mastered um, love, empathy, the absence of prejudice, the giving of the benefit of the doubt. Remember how I drilled this time into your mentality? Benefit of the doubt. Don't prejudge. Give them the benefit of the doubt. Rather think favorably than to think on the negative. Rather give them, you'd rather be proven wrong later, but you don't err on the side of falling into that trap of, of hating your brother by your manner of speech. You can say, I don't hate, but the moment I hear you speak in a particular vein, I, I, I see some conversation filled with a judgmental, preconceived uh, uh, a view regarding this person or the situation. Just, I, I, I told you a few months ago, take a month and just bless everyone the whole month. Just for one month, try it. Don't think a negative thought about anyone. Don't say a negative word about anyone. But if you are going to comment, bless, highlight the good in the person. Try it. 
Believe the prophet and you will prosper. The other expression of perfection, well, I said there were two, eh? Yes. Now, what is words of our mouth? And the only context, for example, in, Matthew, in, the, in the Beatitudes and in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, this phrase Jesus says, Be perfect because your heavenly Father is. Do you know in the context, see the verses preceding that. In what context did Jesus say, be perfect? The context is this. He said, if you only love those who love you, what benefit do you have? Because even the Gentiles do that. But if your enemy riles you and, and hates you, etc., rather bless him. Um, bless those that hate you. Pray for those that persecute you. Be perfect, for your heavenly Father is perfect. Perfection was always couched within the context of how you relate to others. You get that right. You are right there at the teleos position. Right? Perfection, in this sense, is not divine in morality. All of that is, 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 is true. We must be moral, circumspect, holy, upright. And all. I'm not talking about moral perfection. I'm telling you, you can get that right. That's easy, living right and holy for God. For me, that's easy. The challenge for me is perfecting my spirituality in the context of relating to people. That for me is the more difficult challenge than living holy for God. So when I say perfection, I presuppose that you are, your quest is for personal holiness, righteousness, all of that is in place. But the, the venue, if you would, the arena in which Spiritual perfection is honed, fine honed, is in, the, is in the context of how I relate to people. Right? Let me put a, if you are David, I'll put a soul in your life. God is saying, how am I going to perfect my son David? I'll give him a soul. Give him a persecutor and see how, and teach him when that guy dies, how to sing his praises. And not say, good for you. We've got to get back to Davidic ways. Got to get back. I'm telling you, brethren, you are not going to prosper. I, I prophesy over you. This is not a curse. This is a simple statement of fact. I prophesy over you. You will not prosper to the degree that God wants you unless you start perfecting your relationships. God sees that. God sees there's no Cain spirit in you wanting to murder your brother at every turn, wanting to, to talk down and Drag his reputation in them. God sees that this person is distracting the Cain dynamic from out of him. God says, now everything, the ground, the land, will, when they see you and your image, everything will position itself to respond towards you. I'm telling you this will work. Amen? Tell someone next to you it will work. It will work. This is very, 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 very important. Hmm? The ground does not respond to the Cain spirit. The ground does not, be not like Cain was, the scripture says in the New Testament. Be not like Cain. Right? Don't go that route. There you don't want to go. You cancel your, your productivity. Okay, um, next, next, next uh, case study. We're just dealing with a few case studies. Right? A few case studies. So you promise to practice this? I'm going to speak good about everybody. Even when, and, and let me say this, even when at times I have to, 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 to recognize something bad in someone, I will do it in a redemptive spirit. Right? And my mentioning of it is purely going to be for redemptive purposes. 
It's not going to be for scandalous or for talk, right? It's going to be for redemptive purposes. Amen? Now, Jacob is our next example. Um, and you, you've got to read quite a few passages to get the full picture here. It's an interesting narrative. Read from Genesis 27 to Genesis 35. Um, long story short, I'll just paraphrase it. You know that he was um, the second son. Not so? The second son of Isaac and Rebekah. Who was born first? Esau. Esau was born first. Whose firstborn son? By natural standards, Esau. Whose firstborn son in the spirit? How do we know that? The prophecy given when the boys were born. As the twins, they were twins, eh? When they came out of Rebekah's womb, the prophecy given was the older will serve the younger. So Jacob always had the issue of blessing, of because firstborn comes with favor, comes with executive privilege, there's headship, there's the right of the invocation of a verbal blessing, the right to represent your father in your father's absence, the, the right to continue your father's prophetic uh, blessing to the next generation, the concern for the welfare of, of the brothers, all of those blessings and responsibilities attendant with firstborn were always Jacob's. So at his birth, there was a prophecy. But do you know, he did not function in rest, and he sought to get what was his through carnal or manipulation. You know the story, right? And he, what did he do when his brother Esau was hungry? The bowl of lentils? He says, this is, this is my chance. He was thinking now, this is my chance to manipulate circumstances to get ahead in my prophetic destiny, right? And he did it by deceit. And, 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 and he gained mileage out of Esau's hunger. So he said, you know, I'll give you my bowl of lentils if you give me your birthright. Birthright was always his, but he sought to get it through uh, fraudulent or, or deceptive means. Even when he, he deceived his father, Jacob, um, sorry, Isaac, deceived his father by putting Esau's garments on, to make his skin appear as though it was hairy. Remember? Right? He, he, he always sought to extract what was his through deception. His name means deceiver, conniver, supplanter. Right? And I, I want to encourage you in this season. You don't need to do all that to get ahead. You know, the firstborn principle really brings us into rest. You don't need to scheme, manipulate, work the system to get ahead. Just be and be faithful to what God has called you. God will ensure that the will of God for your life will, will thrive. But because, I mean, like Moses, remember Moses? Killed those, uh, that Egyptian who was flogging the Israelites, right? There was the sense that I'm going to be deliverer, but if I do it my way through my means, I suffer results. Both men, both Moses and Jacob, had to literally... Um, be removed from their context. They both ran away. Jacob ran to Uncle Laban's house. The will of God, in essence, was put on hold for his life for 20 years. He served him. Right? And you know the stories. The whole scenario played itself out there. Although it was the venue in which he recruited his two wives, Rachel and Leah, who became um, the matriarchs of the nation to be, 
But for me, it seemed almost like a delay because in the wrong context, in the wrong man's house. What was his vow in Genesis 28? When he says, so the ladder, he says, God, if you keep me, bless me, and bring me back to my father's house. He always knew. I'm going to run from my brother, but I know wherever I'm going, I'm just going to have to come a day when I come back to my father's house because in this context, prophetic destiny plays itself out. So imagine 20 years serving Uncle Laban, six years, and then seven for the one girl, seven for the other girl, total of 20 years. But now think about this. As he, as he positions himself to return to daddy's house, because he must reconnect with patriarchal prophetic blessing for the will of God to triumph. What is the outstanding matter that must be rectified? The reconciliation with Esau. What is the, 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 the thorn in his flesh? I think for 20 years this guy went to bed knowing I have an outstanding relational matter that I have to rectify. And that nothing of God's will for my life is going, to, is going to accelerate unless that issue is sorted out. You know, I, I think he was traumatized for 20 years, my personal view. Huh? And do you know the story? And when he says he's on his way back and he gets word that, hey, your brother is on his way to meet you. And he says, this is not like, he's, he's a man of war. He's come with a whole entourage, a whole tribe, literally. But this time, these both 20 years later, they've amassed a whole... Both men are literally almost tribal now. Jacob has his, his 12 sons, etc. Um, and a whole, a whole clan, as it were. Multitude of servants and men of war. And so, remember, what is his name still? Jacob, not so? And remember, he wrestled with the angel at Peniel. The Lord himself, I believe. And his name is changed to? Israel. Notice, and what was his plea to that angel? Unless you bless me. The point is, was he blessed or not? The prophecy at his birth, but he, he, he sought to fabricate the blessing through carnal means. And this guy realized, I've done it all through human sweat. I have to personally engage the Lord to, to receive what's legitimately mine. But, and even though he got the blessing, he had a dislocated hip, and now he's walking Unless he reconciles with Esau, the will of God doesn't play itself out fully for his life. Not so, right? But listen carefully. So he wrestles the angel. Esau is awaiting him. And what is the river that he crosses before he sees Esau? The Jabok. Jacob crossed the Jabok. The play upon words. A little ford, a little river. Um, Jabok means emptying. I've got it here in your notes, right at the bottom, emptying, pouring out, running out. So Jacob had to pour himself out from himself before he reconciled with Esau. I, I think this is pouring and emptying himself of any kind of self-justification. I mean, was he justified? Technically, if you took this to a court of law, Jacob would have won, hands down. He could have just said, but you sold me the book. So I've just got what is technically, technically mine, right? But it, he knew that the elements of deceit, of human endeavor, all tainted 
what was legitimately his. Also, this is a serious lesson for us. Eh? He learned that you cannot seek to procure God's blessing or the fulfillment of your prophetic destiny at the expense of estrangement with brothers. Can't do that. Can't pursue the one and leave in your wake a whole lot of estranged relationships. I have seen it, and you probably know some people. I have seen gifted people like you can't believe. Gifted of the Lord. Full with revelation and gifts of the Spirit, second to none. But yet, in the same context, I see a disesteem for brotherhood and for relationships. And how that the one aborts the potential of the other. And I want to encourage us, never ever go there. Cross your personal jabok. Come to the place where you say, God, I'm so dead to myself. I'm so empty. I'm going to empty myself even more. He knew he's going to, the next day, the sun rising, I'm facing my brother. So empty yourself of any kind of, you see how people justify themselves? Self-righteous. I'm right. He's wrong. Why must I do this? Okay. Just empty yourself of whatever is there of yourself. All the pride and just say, Lord, I'm dead, 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 as dead can be. Nothing left in me. All I want is for your purposes to transpire. And I know how you value relationships. I just want to reconcile with my brother or my sister. There are some people, though, that are are irreconcilable. Verse, what's it? Timothy 3. In the last days men shall be. Perilous times shall come. In the last days men shall be. Lovers of themselves, boasters, lovers of money, proudful, haters, disobedient to parents. One of the things men shall be is listed in that list of 18 characteristics is men shall be, some of them, irreconcilable. There there are some people you'll never reconcile with. But what I'm asking you is, from your position, you must not um, be divisive in your heart and be the one responsible for the estrangement in your heart. Do everything in your power for reconciliation. If the party does not want to reconcile, at least you absolve before God. Thessalonians says, as far as it lies within your power, you live peaceably with all men. You are personally responsible. In other words, you must not be responsible for the division, for the schism, for the tension. You must be a peacemaker at all costs. Okay? Oh, by the way, how... And with the wisdom of God in this man, Jacob, what does he do to appease his brother's anger? Send seed. Send seed. He had peace for the seed. <laughs> Literally. Right? Sends gifts. And to his amazement, there was marvelous reconciliation. Um, forgiveness, I believe, between him and Esau. Amen? Go to the next case study. Job. Job 42, is this speaking to your heart? I'm preaching to myself tonight. I can hear the Lord saying some things to me, (laughs) some some things I need to do in the next week or so. Job 42, the fortunes of Job were restored only after he prayed for his friends who falsely accused him. Remember? Let me read the text from verse 10. The Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he prayed for his friends 
and the Lord increased all that Job had twofold. How's that? When were the fortunes restored? After he prayed for his friends. And now that's just another key. Pray for your greatest detractors. Pray for your greatest accusers. Pray for those that, are, that greatly misunderstand you. One of the ways in which you keep your heart free from bitterness is by actually praying for people. You know why? You have no legitimate right to pray for anybody you don't love. You can't come be, and let's say you, you be hatred in your heart. Let's say I be hated in my heart for Angama for whatever reason. Can I come before God and say, God, I pray for Angama. You, you won't even pray. Never mind, pray. But you can't pray not for, for an enemy not having resolved the issue within your heart of reaching out to him, of blessing him, of holding nothing in your heart against him. Right? Now think about this. There were three, three friends that misunderstood Job. Right? They misassessed, they misappraised his situation. Right? I mean, Job was probably the most misunderstood individual in his time. Right? And also prejudged, misjudged, judged falsely by people that were the most intimate with him. Right? So, and he comes to the end of his trial. Let's think about this. Think with me. Comes to the end of his trial, he's passing all the tests. Passing all the tests. God says, I'm now ready to restore you, Job. But there's, listen carefully. Did the friends cause his calamity? No. This was caused by a conversation between God and Satan in the unseen realm. Remember? Right? He probably had a good relationship with him. They just misunderstood what he was going through. And they, 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 they counseled him inaccurately. Their viewpoints were totally carnal. Right? And now, God says, Job, I've tested your heart. Man hates evil. Let me ask you this question. How does the Bible describe Job initially in Job 1? What kind of man was Job? Upright, blameless. So in terms of morality, this guy got a tick par excellence. This is not a righteous, holy, in every sense, his thought life, his personal purity, his blemishless before the Lord. But one potential thing that will, can cause him not to get his prosperity is simply an attitude to friends. You can be the most holiest person, but your attitude to people could be your greatest obstacle in accessing your prosperity. And Job proves this. So God is, God on his throne is saying, Job, I'm about to restore you. I'm just waiting for one thing to see in you. And I picture the day when Job, maybe me to me too practically, goes on his knees and he's praying before his father. He says, Father, what was the guy's name? I forget the names either. They were strange names. Eliphaz. Father, I bring Eliphaz before you who misunderstands, who counseled me inaccurately, and etc. I pray you bless him. I pray you, you, you shower favor upon my friend who is my, has become my greatest detractor. I pray you bless him. God, I'm, I think God got off his throne. <laughs> Yay. Look at the response of my son towards those that greatly misunderstand him. Then the Lord says, okay, angel, start the restoration process. Because I see his attitude towards others. 
peace for the seed. Someone say it with me, peace for the seed. One of the ways you can really practice this is start to pray. Would you do this before you sleep? I'm sure you at all at least have one detractor in your life. Right? You will have at least one. <laughs> I challenge you before you sleep, take this seriously, consciously before you sleep. God, I bring Mrs. So-and-so to you, Mr. So-and-so. And I pray, I pray for them that will be whole, that will find your salvation, that will grow in you, that will become used mightily, uh, that will shower them. Just pray blessing and see what the Lord is going to do. Your fortunes will be restored. And twice was given to Job, not so? Let's read it quickly. I just like to read this for encouragement. Although you know the verses, verse 11 of Job 42. All his brothers and all his sisters. Excuse me. All his brothers and all his sisters. And all who had known him before came to him. I like this. All the previous acquaintances wanted to get to know him now. And they ate bread with him in his house, and they consoled him, and they comforted him for all the adversities that the Lord had brought upon him. And each one gave him one piece of money, and each a ring of gold. How is that for restoration? Your friends come to comfort you because of all of your troubles, and they come bearing gifts. And what turned that? One thing in his life turned that. His simple attitude to friends that were his greatest detractors. The Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than the beginning. And if you read what he had in the beginning in chapter 1 and verse 2, uh, chapter 1 and chapter 2 and what he has now, it's exactly double, twofold. 14,000 sheep, who'd like that? 6,000 camel, 1,000 yoke of oxen, 1,000 female donkeys, seven sons, three daughters. Hmm? He named the first, this is the daughters, Jemima, the second, Kezia, the third, Kerin, Hapak. You must see the names of these three daughters. It'll be a very good study for some of you to do. Unpack the names and what they, they represent. In the land, in, in all the land, no women were found so fair, so beautiful as Job's daughters. And their father gave them an inheritance among their brothers. It was unheard of in the custom. He broke all tradition. After this, he lived. How long? After that trial, he lived for another 140 years. Hmm? Is this the blessing of the Lord or what? Would like to live a long time. You know what kills you? Unforgiveness. What's the greatest killer today? Unforgiveness. Bitterness. You want to live? Live in the culture of forgiveness. I like this. He saw his sons and his grandsons up to four generations. And Job died, an old man full of days. Mm, That's powerful. Amen? I want that. Amen? I really want that. Let's go to the next case study. This is an interesting one. An offering is rendered powerless because a spouse does not function in honesty or faithfulness with his or her partner. Now, the verse here is Malachi chapter 2, verse 13. This is another thing that you do to cover. Sorry, this is another thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping, 
and with groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. Just stop there. Is there crying at the altar because an offering is not accepted? Yes. So think of the context here. The people are offering at the altar, specifically the priests. And God says to them, they are crying and weeping because the offering is not acceptable to the Lord. God looks at the offering. God rejects the offering. Now they're at the altar weeping. Lord, why are you not accepting, for our context, our seed, our offering? Why are, let, let's look at it in that context. Why aren't you accepting our seed? Then uh, verse 14 says, Yet you say, for what reason? Now here's the reason why the Lord rejects the seed, the offering. God says, because the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth, against whom you have dealt treacherously, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Right? So if you read the preceding and following verses in Malachi 2, there are two weepings going on here. Listen carefully. Right? Two weepings. One is the weeping because an offering has not been acceptable. And the other is the weeping of a wife at the altar because the husband has dealt treacherously with, with her. God says, guess who's weeping I'm going to hear? I'm not going to hear you weeping because your offerings are acceptable. I'm going to listen to the weeping of the wife who has been dealt treacherously with by her husband. Right? So it's a matter of whose weeping is heard at the altar. So you get... If, if, if you manage to restore the weeping, or, or to, to not restore the weeping, to uh, resolve the issue of the wife weeping, because the husband is dealing treacherously with her, God says, now bring your offerings, I'll accept it. So the unacceptability of the offering was because of the lack of transparency, honesty within the marriage covenant. Now think about this. Some of you got the old note, and I didn't realize there's a whole line missing there. Can you see that in your note? God says, you, you deal treacherously with the wife of your youth because she is your wife by covenant. Now, the word treacherous used here is bagad, bagad, right? And it means the following. You just write it in there if you have it missing. Some of your notes have it, others don't. It literally means to cover with a garment. Let me use this. Right? To cover, oh, this is not a very good example because this is a see-through. You can see. Okay. But the other one. Okay, let's, let me use this for effect. I use this cloth. Right? So, um, what, what can I use? Let me use you right here in front. Yes, I've had a couple. Come um, um, and come, let's use jewels. Okay. So yes, Fiona and um, Sean. <laughs> okay, they're the married couple. And now, Sean, do you have, you got some money on you or something? Okay, you're bringing your offerings. There's an offering basket. Let's use a practical example. Bringing your offering baskets to the Lord, your tithes, your first fruits, your offerings. So sow it, brother. Man gives cheerfully. Fulfilled all the principles, not coercion. And he's, he's giving his seed. Now, but he's giving his seed, but there's no peace for the seed. Right? The absence of peace in the relationship. 
Why? Because on the sideline, yeah. <laughs> out of covering with a garment, out of Fiona's view, uh, the word bagat, he is dealing treacherously with her. The word treacherous means he's covering his activity. And the word, the word means, okay, it's not there. <laughs> the word means to deal covertly. So she, she is not aware that he is unfaithful to the marriage covenant. Right? So now, now God says, okay, now she's hurt. She comes to the same altar and she's crying. Okay. She's weeping. God says, this offering, seed, loses its power because your weeping takes preference over that, over the unacceptability of the offering. So I listen to your weeping. And God says, you've been unfaithful to the wife of your youth. So then, take, please take this off. Take the cover off. Right? Let things come to the light. Get back to the wife of your youth. So that when you sow seed, where's the seed? <laughs> so when you sow seed, God says, then I will accept your offering. And your offering finds power with me. Okay, thanks. You want this back? Yes. <laughs> okay. Now, it also means, the word bagat means to deal deceitfully or faithlessly. You've been faithless. Right? Can you see how it's important for, for us to maintain the marriage? covenant and the marriage um, um, vow. Not so? Okay. So I really want to encourage you to... Now, everyone say peace for the seed. Peace for the seed in this context was absent because of the unfaithfulness involved, right? Now this is like a practical example. But now I want to challenge you with this. In the New Testament, in the New Testament, Jesus said this, you do not have to physically commit an act of adultery for it to be construed as such. He said this, you can even think it in your heart and you are guilty. In fact, you are equated with guilt as the man who actually committed the act or the woman. Not so. Right? So, now, if we think about it logically, how then the responsibility upon us, upon you and I today, what seriousness is there involved in terms of our thought life, our mindset, our internal motivation. So I believe this word is coming to us as a sobering word of caution. That even in your thought life, you're not committing adultery of any kind in your thinking or even in your emotional attachment with a, with a person that is not your spouse. Because sometimes you can become too emotionally attached. Right? If you're talking more to someone of the opposite sex, that's not your spouse, more than your spouse, that is unacceptable. Right? Unacceptable. Your seed loses its power. Right? So you've got to get all of, the, all of these things back firmly in, in place. Amen? And I want to say there's grace and there's mercy. Every release of the word of the Lord comes with grace and, and mercy. Amen? So I can just foresee... Everyone say power for our seed. Really, you know what God is tweaking? God is saying, it's not that many of us don't give. Many of us are givers. But God is saying, giving on its own, not good enough. Giving on its own is not good enough. God is saying, 
I am, great, I am now wanting you to start perfecting your relationships. And when you do that, all your relationships, see how your seed grows. Uh, remember um, when we dealt with the issue of Lot and Abram? How is that going with you? Are you reaching out to the brother who left you? Maybe who used you, got rich and then left you. Exploited your goodness, exploited the grace upon your life, came in to break through, then said bye-bye. Right? Then we looked at, I'm just thinking about this now as I'm, as I'm talking to you, we looked at Jacob's reconciliation with, with Esau. Right? The strange brother in your, in your world that you need to reach out to before the will of God can, can play out. Or maybe you have uh, a cane. Maybe you are the cane. You need to be caned if you are the cane. Right? Uh, don't, don't, don't fall into the trap of hating and of being jealous of the acceptability and the progress at the rate at which your brother's spiritual and or secular business life is playing itself out. Just keep your heart pure at, at, at all costs. Then also, uh, now in terms of the marriage covenant, um, ensure that that is given priority and prominence above all your relationships. Right? Make certain at that level you're not failing because that's going to be a certain sign of a, a certain indication of the abortion of the power of your seed. Make certain it's, it's fine there. Do you have friends that detract from you, misunderstand you? Pray for them like Job and see how your fortunes are going to be restored to you. Now let's look at just two more before we close. I think we have two more. Joseph, okay, Joseph, I'm not going to say too much, although I can spend a whole series on this, this man. Just love this the personality of, of, of Job. Sorry, not Job. Joseph. Okay. Now listen carefully. Joseph is a representation of Christ, not so. Remember the story he's in? Egypt, and the famine is severe in the, the whole of the then known world. Not so. Um, God raises him up, second in command to Pharaoh, through a dream and through the interpretation he gets this position under favor from Pharaoh. God gives him a witty economic plan, right? The building of the silos in the years of plenty, so that they have plenty in the seven years of famine. He does this not just to save Egypt. He does this to save literally the world, specifically Jacob's family living in Canaan, because they have prophetic promises from their forefather, Abraham, that they're going to become a great nation, Right? Now they're just 12 boys with one father, and one of them, Joseph, is sold into slavery. God raises him up. He's at this position of tremendous power and prominence. Not so. What does Joseph represent? He represents Christ. He represents breakthrough. He represents provision. He represents preservation of destiny. He represents security. All these things encapsulated in this man, Joseph, right? Now, ultimately, when the brothers passed all the tests, and I'll talk about them shortly just now, what is his disposition towards them? Is he hateful? Is he revengeful? Is he full of bitterness for the hardship he's, he's been through? No. Right? Let, let me ask you this. Did 
He waits for the confrontation to happen to resolve the matter in his heart. Am I going to deal kindly with them or not? No, he didn't wait. Those issues were resolved long ago in his heart before he actually saw his brothers. Uh, One of the ways in which I certainly know this, I think in the seven years of plenty, he had Ephraim and Manasseh, his two sons. Remember? From the Egyptian girl. Remember? Right? And why did God give him Ephraim and Manasseh? Or rather, why why did he call the boys by those names? Who was first? Firstborn was? Manasseh, secondborn was? Ephraim. When, what does the word Manasseh mean? I will cause you to forget. So when, when, when this son was born, God says, for I will cause you to forget all the hurt of your brothers and your father's house. So by that stage already, God was already dealing with him and cleaning him out of any kind of revenge, anger, bitterness that he had with any kind of memory for his brothers or with his father's house. Not so? So all this was... And then the second boy came, Ephraim. And what does Ephraim mean? Doubly fruitful, right? I think God was saying, I'll, I'll cause you to forget by making you fruitful. <laughs> in a sense. You know, that's, you know see the two, the two together. And, and, and Ephraim was born in the seven years of plenty. He was, he was born in a season of double fruitfulness, as it were. Right? So by the time the, the brothers pitched up there, seeking grain, and he put them through all of those tests, he had literally forgotten the pain. His only concern now was to test the brothers. Remember the series of tests he put them through? He could have forgiven them on the spot, but he wanted to check what progress have they made in terms of one factor, one criteria, one issue, he wanted to test to what degree were they committed to relationships and to the brotherhood. Remember he first held back Simeon? Right? When he heard, he, he questioned them, where are you from? Right? How many of you? Is your father still alive? Right? And they were true when they said, we are so many brothers. One is back home, the youngest with our father. Benjamin, right? He's, 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 he's actual brother from Rachel. They were both from Rachel, not so I think. Yeah? His actual brother, right? And, and then he tested them, you know? Uh, I'm going to take Simeon. I'm going to keep him. Prison. And here's the famous phrase. You will not see my face again until Benjamin is here. Clear. In in all of Genesis, that is probably the most important phrase in that whole narrative. You will not see, what does he represent? Christ. You will not see provision. You will not see preservation. You will not see security. You will not see everything that I, Joseph, represent until the full complement of the brotherhood is represented among you. So you go back and you get Benjamin. Remember Judah offered to Reuben, I think it was Judah offered to um, stand surety. Ultimately, they go back. I don't want to go through all the details. It's a fascinating narrative. After they go back and they tell Jacob. The man said that he counted almost verbatim. It's like the, the, the Bible is, is like almost like a repetition. It sounds almost like a wastage of paper in Genesis. That he count word for word what Jacob, what Joseph said to them. And Judah tells Jacob, the man said to us, we will not see his face again. 
right? Until Benjamin is present with us. Then Jacob says, not on your life is this boy going with you. Right? Never. I think he's recalling back the past. I gave you my other favorite son. And he died at your hands. I'm not letting this one go. And so for a season, Jacob was refusing. But the famine worsened. In Judah, when Judah speaks, even the father listens. Judah is a representative of the apostolic spirit. He says, Dad, you have to. And Judah says this to his father, I will stand surety for him. He'll let his blood be on my head. Right? Come back to Egypt, and I see these of tests again, long story short. Um, they're not allowed to be released. Um, remember the, the, the deception with the, with the cup, the money, etc.? And Judah, uh, sorry, Benjamin is put into, into prison. And they were allowed to go back. That is when Judah said, no, no, no. His famous words were this. We can't return back home without him. Because, and, and Judah knew, if we go back without Benjamin, the moment Jacob sees us, and J- Benjamin is not with us, he will virtually die. And his famous words were, my, the life of my father is bound up with the life of the lad. Therefore, release him, Joseph, but rather put me in prison. Now, the Bible says, very next verse, at that, Joseph wept. At that, Joseph reveals his identity. At that, they see his true face. When he saw his brothers have now matured spiritually into a place where even Judah, their representative, was willing to incarcerate himself to ensure, listen carefully to the principle, it's not just about ensuring the welfare of brothers. It was about ensuring the well-being of the father. Because the well-being of the father was bound up with the life of the son. So in standing surety for the son, you're ensuring the well-being of the father. And not just the man, Jacob. What is in Jacob? What is in Jacob? Prophetic promises. Perpetuity from Abram, Isaac, then Jacob. And ultimately, they weep. You know, he said, you sold me. Don't worry about that because God sent me. He, he managed to bring relief, comfort, consolation to them. What is the first, one of the first things Jacob does when he gets back to Egypt? He leaves Canaan and comes down. What happens? Genesis 49. Gather to me, you sons, he says, of Jacob. Listen to Israel, your father. And he starts, Reuben, starts to prophesy. Genesis 49 is a long chapter. Goes over every boy. Every boy. Comes to Joseph, gives him a prophecy. Plus he gets Joseph's two sons. Joseph gets like three in one, eh? Joseph plus the two sons. Because firstborn left Reuben because he slept with his father's concubine. And firstborn, according to First Chronicles 5, read it. First Chronicles 5, 1 and 2. Reuben forfeited birthright and it came to Joseph. So Joseph's two sons got, they became two old tribes also. Technically, there are 13 tribes. 12 because Levi was extracted from the group to serve as the priesthood. You know the story. But my point is, listen carefully, my point is, Joseph's face is revealed to them. Breakthrough, provision, all of that, attended with Joseph. 
once he determined that the brothers have now come into a new place of peaceful relationships, of harmony, of care, of empathy, for the brotherhood and for prophetic prophecies, uh, prophecies vested within the Father. Do you know there's a sub, there's a, there's a sub principle there? You love your brother, yes, for your love your, of your brother's sake. But if there's no love in the house, the prophetic registry in the Father can't play itself out in the house. He can't say, can't gather, let me, let me speak. Let me speak. Sometimes when you don't mend relationships, you are prohibiting the release of prophetic destiny over each son for the house. And in that is prosperity. In that is, is blessing. Not so? Amen? You will not see my face. You know, so I, if you're struggling with this, may those words ponder and play themselves out in your mind over again. You will not see my face. God is saying to you, you will not see my manifestation. I will not come to the party for you. You will not see my face unless you demonstrate care, empathy, concern for your brother and for your father's well-being. Amen? Let's just pray and then we will release you. I really feel, I don't know about you, the Lord speaking to my own heart. It's like simple keys. God is saying, just get this right. Please, church. You know, I don't know why. I thought we'd be far ahead over this topic by now. We seem to have been camping around this for a few weeks. Eh? God is stressing it. Right? Get this right. I'm telling you, you're on a path. You, you're set. You're on your path to perfection and spiritual, spiritual maturity. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Pray your blessing upon everyone who has come tonight. Come, let's lift up our hands to you. We lift up our hands to you, Father, because we realize without your grace, we cannot do these things. So fill each one with grace, ability, and power to walk obediently in all of these principles. Where we have failed you, I thank you that your forgiveness and your mercy washes us even now and cleanses us from all sin in the name of Jesus. I just pray your mercy where we failed relationally in whatever respect. Cleanse us, forgive us. Thank you for your faithfulness. Even when we are faithless, you remain faithful. You cannot deny yourself. Then you are true to your faithfulness. And Father, we lift up our hands to you. We pray for our enemies that have hurt us, persecuted us. We pray, O oh God, for people that misunderstand us. Help us to always speak kind words concerning them particularly. To speak good words. Let, our, let, our, let grace drip from our lips. So I speak well-being. I prophesy peace for the seed. And the vine will heal forth its fruit. The land heal forth its produce. I pray heavens give forth your due. I pray that all these people will inherit all of these things, Father. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen.